We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, I want to take a moment to tell you about Buzzsprout. I know that if you're a podcast junkie like I am, you probably have thought about starting your own podcast before. I know that can be a little daunting, but if you have the right help, it's not that hard. And Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. We've been using Buzzsprout since day one and could not recommend it enough. So if you're interested and you have that itch to start a podcast, make sure and follow the link in our show notes and Buzzsprout will be able to help you and guide you along the way. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey Chargers fans, welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. I am your host, and as always, joining me today are Jason and Alex. Jason, how are you doing today? <laughs> you almost interrupted yourself. You got I almost though. interrupted you myself, <laughs> and I almost forgot what to say for a second. <laughs> well, I'm doing great. It's nice to know that when I'm gone, Stephen will do my job for myself. <laughs> And interrupting himself. It's a really odd effect what's going on right here. But you know what? I'll just let it roll. Sometimes you just overthink some things and, you know, it just just interrupts you sometimes. But, you know, you move past it. Alex, how are you doing today? Good. Uh, Unfortunately, I have some bad news. I am actually leaving the podcast and I am starting my own new podcast where I talk about all of Steven's terrible basketball opinions, <laughs> uh, specifically related around Ben Simmons. Uh, oh my god! Just, just, <laughs> just all his terrible opinions. Um, you can donate to my Patreon. Uh, yeah, but I'll. I, I can't handle Steven's terrible basketball takes anymore. Who is? Who, I love it. You is, had me uh, scared there for a second, and I was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> you didn't tell us about this." <laughs> 
Who's Ben Simmons? He's a Dude. basketballist. I know who he is. I'm just Alex. <laughs> He's a basketballist. That's so funny. He can't shoot a three-pointer to save his life. That's all I know about him. I don't know if it's that he can. It's just that he won't. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe in the bubble he'll do good. <laughs> Steven's Which... like, it's not that he sucks. He's just... He's just kind of a wimp. About DeMontis it. Sabonis? <laughs> yeah, I, like, I love me some Sabonis. Anyways, the NBA is back, but this is a football podcast, so we're going to talk <laughs> some football today. Um, we finally, finally got a rookie signing. Uh, Alohi Gilman signed his six-round deal. The terms have not yet been released, uh, but you know it's exciting because there is finally a rookie signing. The other rookies are in the building. They reported yesterday as of recording this on Wednesday, July 22nd. Um, the other news that came out after we recorded, obviously, we you know, we talked quite a bit about the NFL's lack of preparation amidst the, NF- the coronavirus pandemic. It, it seems that they finally have a plan in place, which it's funny how they had all summer long to create a plan, and then it's only after all the players speak out is when they actually come up with their plan. Uh, so, guys, any reaction or thoughts to Elohi Gilman signing or the NFL's plan for the coronavirus pandemic. Well, we can officially now finally say aloha. <laughs> and it's going to be a sad day when he leaves, in which case we will also say aloha. Oh, man. <laughs> I love Alex, any line. thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think it's good that we got Alohi Gilman signed. Uh, one thing that I think will be interesting to watch is that the news also came out that training camp rosters to start will officially get cut oh, down yes. to 80. Uh, so now with Alohi Gilman, they'll have 81. And then when they sign the other five uh, draft picks, they'll have 86. So the Chargers are going to have to cut presumably six other people who are currently on the roster. I assume that will be mostly FD, uh, uh, undrafted free agents. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I don't know who it's going to be, but... Uh, we'll see uh, what they decide to do there. So they do have to have uh, 80 before training camp um, on Tuesday. So I assume that's when you'll see. That's I, I assume that's why Elohi Gilman was signed today, and I assume you'll see Herbert uh, and some other people get signed before Tuesday. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And, and that does kind of suck for some of these guys because they don't even get the chance to even practice once before they get cut. Um I, you know, I think the Chargers have done as good a job as anyone of, of finding undrafted free agents and being able to kind of cut through the weeds, so to speak, and, and find these guys that can be capable producers. But, you know, if Austin Eckler were in this class, you know, who knows, maybe he might be one of the cuts before practice even starts. So that does kind of, you do kind of feel bad for players who are getting cut without even practicing before. It's bullcrap. <laughs> Yeah, Jason yeah. was pretty vocal about the NFLPA kind of just throwing the undrafted free agents under the bus, and it's true. Uh, I don't know if you want to expand on that take, but really the NFLPA just kind of threw some major shade at the, the guys trying to scrap and make the teams. Both times that the – go ahead, man. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't totally understand what the difference between having 90 and 80 is. Like, because when we talk about all the people there – like, it would be understandable if, like, okay, well, we want to take some preventative coronavirus measures, and we're going to cut from 90 to, maybe you have, maybe they want to make some drastic thing and have, like, okay, your final cuts are happening now, right? That would be understandable, but what's really the difference between 90 and 80? Like, <laughs> I don't no. I don't think there is one. Yeah. 
So I think my biggest thing is is that this is the second thing that's happened in a year, less than that, in one offseason, I think, maybe, um, where the, NF, the NFLPA has sided with the big money players and not the players that are trying to make a roster. Side with the millionaires that already have their future set up, but leave the guys that are that have a questionable future, leave them out to dry. The little and guys. We, we saw it earlier this season with that, that – bill or whatever they were trying to sign for the um that they were voting on for um CBA. basically to help the the what the cba yeah that was basically signing it or saying yes to it would help udfas and such like that and the late round draft picks and um, i don't remember the language of it and if they were to say no to it it would help the big money players that are already there um essentially it was like it messed with the like if players were holding out they can't really do that anymore they get fined a lot more now um because the the vote was passed as a yes and the nflpa was actually really pushing along with those big money players to vote no on that cba because it hurt the big money players but it left all the undrafted and late round picks out to dry and they they just did the same thing again with with this whole deal where you know there's no preseason there's no opportunity for these guys and there's already going to be cuts for 10 cuts for some teams uh before these guys even get a chance to get on the field and so it's just the NFLPA yet again putting themselves on the side of the big money players and saying, you guys don't make enough money. We don't care about you. And I guess I don't like the NFLPA a lot, man. It's, it's always been this way and all the players are really like sided towards that. And it's just because that that's how it is. They're just geared towards helping those big money guys. Yeah. It really is unfortunate that they have kind of decided to go this way. And I'm hoping that, the cutting of the preseason. I know that they were planning on cutting it uh, before this year, but I, I, I really think that the preseason is necessary. I'm, I'm not saying that four games is necessary, but these guys that are trying to make the roster need some kind of way to show that they are capable football players and capable of producing. And you'll only get eight, I think it's eight padded practices in training camp now. And so these guys aren't going to have very many opportunities, you know, Maybe Bryce Cotton from Idaho is is just this, you know, gem of an undrafted free agent, and nobody's going to know this year because he's not going to be able to get the opportunity to practice. Or maybe Malik Jefferson, the guy who they signed to a futures contract, is is a guy that the Chargers could theoretically develop, but you know he's not going to have any opportunity this year. So it really is just unfortunate that the NFLPA has decided to really throw the undrafted free agents and the guys who are borderline roster cuts just under the bus like this. Any other thoughts, Alex? Uh, yeah, no, I, I mostly agree. Um, one thing I did want to mention about the kind of deal making that they've been doing with the NFLPA and the NFL is the NFLPA had to fight really hard uh, to get um, the daily COVID test. And um, like, I, I, I don't understand why they had to fight so hard to get kind of the bare minimum there. Like, <laughs> I mean, if, you know, we talk about the NBA, and I, I understand to an extent that, like, 
having a daily COVID test for NFL players is harder because right, more players. It's, it's, it's more players. But like, yeah. you know, if you want to do this, you can't have a coronavirus outbreak. So I just don't understand like why they had to fight for that in the first place. Um, but yeah, that that was just the last thing uh, I wanted to mention there. Well, I heard a lot of NFL players were fighting it too. That not not fighting for the daily COVID tests, but fighting team doctors doing it. And mm. I think that was where you we probably don't see a lot of behind the scenes like arguments there. I I have a feeling that a lot of the teams were or players were actually asking for off site doctors doing the tests. Because yeah. as we've seen a little bit recently on Twitter these guys actually really hate their team doctors a lot. Like there's no love for those guys at all. I don't, I don't know who exactly it was. It might've been Tyron Matthew uh, was one of them off the top of my head, but they were basically just throwing those doctors under the bus saying like, you wonder why we go get surgeries offsite elsewhere and not by our team doctors is because those guys suck. So I'm sure that was part of it as well. I'm sure they don't want team doctors giving the the treatment or diagnosis for the coronavirus. And that means obviously more money. You got to pay those offsite doctors more, I, I believe. So that's, that's probably part of it. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting topic for sure. Uh, so we're going to move on to our next topic. Um, you know, all these, really it was started by Madden. I feel like that all of these other sites were kind of releasing their top 10 at each position and things like that. They um, all suck. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, you can always tell who is really releasing a list and they're doing it genuinely and they're doing it like really like what they actually think or right. those guys like Chris Sims who clearly just want some clickbait. And oh, Chris Sims does that all the time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. And unfortunately, you know, that's just the world that we live in is, you know, their job is, is defined by clicks and, I highly doubt that's who he thinks are the top 10 receivers. I just think yeah. the list that he came up with that would get a lot of clicks. And it did the trick. Everybody, including Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams, were you know retweeting his tweet and roasting him. And, but you know he was getting the clicks, and that's ultimately his job uh, as a sports writer. So that being said, we are going to do our own top 10s. Each of us have made a list and taken the time to to type it up and do some research and things like that. So... Uh, we're going to go 10 to 1. Mm. Uh, I'm going to ask Alex to go first, for, do 10 to 6, so his first his first five. Ah. Jason will do his 10 to 6. I'll do my 10 to 6, and then Alex will do his 5 to 1, Jason 5 to 1, and then me 5 to 1 to wrap it up. And you then don't want to go like 10, 10, 10, and then down? Would you rather do the just 10 to 1? Uh, I'm for well, either. I mean, like, the like all three of us give our 10 and then we move down the yeah list like that. i think that yeah maybe we do all three of us give our 10 and then like we do uh we expand on it and then we can like kind of skip guys later that we already talked about okay that works too yeah. probably should have talked about that that'd be four points right. <laughs> we got that. Uh, <laughs> um so, so yeah we'll start with number 10 for alex's number 10 go ahead alex my number 10 is steven's boy uh it's chris godwin at number 10, I think he is a really good receiver, doesn't drop the ball. Um, I think he's going to be, he's really consistent. Uh, I think he's going to be awesome with uh, Brady in uh, Tampa this year, uh, mostly because Brady can't throw. Um, but 
Um, yeah, but so I, I think, yeah, I'm going to put Chris Godwin at 10. I think he's going to be awesome kind of in that, like, uh, slot role. So, yeah, I, I love uh, love some Chris Godwin. You love some Chris Godwin? <laughs> um, so my number 10 was actually between two people, and it's between A.J. Green and Chris Godwin. Mm-hmm. And A.J. Green would be higher, but he just hasn't played in a minute. And yeah. it's not like he was hurt last year either. I think he, I don't I still have doubts on whether AJ Green was actually hurt or not, or if they just told him to chill out for that season. They were just tanking. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to put Chris Godwin there really badly. Uh, so I will. I feel like <laughs> I just wanted AJ Green there as like an honorable mention because he's still a top 10 talent at the receiver position, yeah. like easily. And on a healthy season, he's going to be back in the top five conversations for sure. But as of now, he's going to be the honorable mention here, and I'm going to stick with Chris Godwin. He he just separates really well, and it was saying something to see him be the best receiver in Tampa Bay last year. Um, and I don't think it was. I don't think it was as close as people think it was between him and his counterpart, but. You know, when you get a receiver that can separate that well, but he also has the explosiveness and um, the ability to break tackles and get yards after the catch like he does. If you separate well and you can do that, you're a dangerous threat every single play in a similar way that Antonio Brown was. So Chris Godwin is going to continue making strides. He's not going to be off of anybody's top 10 or even maybe top five in the future. So I'm going Chris Godwin here. Yeah, this is going to be a clean sweep. Uh, Wow. I, I don't know if I have ever talked about Chris Godwin that much. I don't know if he's my boy, but I do really like him. Um, you know, I think talent-wise, you can make an argument for Stephon Diggs here and A.J. Green. Um, A.J. Green just hasn't been healthy or, you know, apparently hasn't been healthy. And Stephon Diggs really hasn't put up the kind of consistent numbers that you hope for out of a top 10 receiver. Um, maybe that changes in Buffalo. So those are the two guys I thought about. Um, but Chris Godwin, man, I, I think... At the end of the year, he's going to be a guy that is going to be in the t- conversation for top five. I think he's going to make another leap forward. And, you know, he's made an increase in his catch percentage every single year that he's been in the NFL. Like you guys mentioned, he hardly has any drops. He's explosive after the catch, and he's a great separator. So clean sweep for Chris Godwin at number 10. Alex, who is your number nine? My number nine is Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, out of Cleveland. Um, I still love what he can do. I know there was a bit of a down year last year. Um, and he also still hasn't played with a good quarterback. Um, so, you know, maybe, hey. that will... <laughs> maybe that'll change, uh, in 2020. But, um, so yeah, I, I love what Odell can do. Um, I know a lot of people get on him about the lack of touchdowns last year, but Cleveland's offense was just an unholy so mess uh, with uh, Freddy Soup Kitchens. And uh, <laughs> just, just her. I love that. I've never heard that before. I love that. Yeah, it was from uh, <laughs> Bill Simmons, who made him uh, Freddy Soup Kitchens. But oh, uh, yeah, so uh, I, uh, I I like what I like if Odell and um, I like if Stefanski kind of gets a better scheme in there, I could see Odell kind of being a better yeah. weapon this year. Um, I, I just. Every game that I watched of him kind of last year, you could see that he was really good, um, just really talented. He The injury hurt last year, I think, and also having Baker as his quarterback in a down year. But, um, 
yeah, so I would go Odell number nine. I think he I think he can bounce back this year and I think he can maybe make a push for the top five here. I think it's gonna be a clean sweep again. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, just when you get the kind of talent Odell Beckham has and you just you mix it with he's a good route runner and he's a very explosive athlete. I can't leave him out of the top 10. It's almost impossible for me. He's just it didn't it doesn't all come together for him and he did have some Antonio Brown-esque issues early on in his career, but he's changed a lot since he got to Cleveland and he he felt more consistent. I know it wasn't the flashy plays there um, like you saw in New York, but I feel like he was a more consistent receiver last year. And so I'm, I'm still going to put him in, in the top 10. I know he's kind of a downgraded because there was people talking about him being the number one guy for a minute there, but he is absolutely still a top 10 guy. Yeah. I think it, it's hard to argue, you know, he's, he produced last year, not to like an elite level, but he, he was in the top 10 in yards um, I just am looking forward to the Browns maybe, you know, expanding his role a little bit because in New York it was pretty much what Michael Thomas was in, in New Orleans just to a lesser extent of like we're just going to run slants with Odell and screens and see what happens. So I'm hoping that Odell can maybe kind of show more of what he has. But he's also is number nine for me, another clean sweep. I think number eight hopefully is going to be where we're going to see some changes here. So Alex, who's your number eight? Number eight is uh, Devontae Adams out of Green Bay. Um, I think he's just got a lot of really great speed, uh, great route running. Drops are a little bit of an issue for him uh, at some points, um, but I think uh, he's still—I think he's still a great receiver. Um, if you could reduce the drops, he's another one of those guys that I think could make a push, um, kind of into that top five. Um, but yeah, he, he has all the skills, he's got all the speed, uh, and I think he just has a really nice connection, uh, with Aaron Rodgers. So at number eight, I'm going with Devante Adams. So yeah, this is our first difference here. And, mm. um, my number eight is Stefan Diggs. Okay. And I know he doesn't have the, the production, the consistent production that Steven was talking about earlier, but he had to share the field with Kirk Cousins and Adam Thielen. So Adam Thielen has taken some of the targets away, and Kirk Cousins sucks. So when you put those <laughs> things together, it just, it's just how it ends up. Now, That's true. That's true. Also add in that Dalvin Cook took a majority of the, of the workload there. So when you're the number two receiver behind Thielen, and then you've also got Dalvin Cook, and then Kyle Rudolph is taking all the red zone targets – They've got the new young tight end there in Irv Smith, who I like a lot. There's just there's a lot of targets there, and it just didn't give Diggs room to become the star that he is capable of being. Now, I don't know if that's going to pan out in Buffalo to make him the star because Josh Allen sucks, but <laughs> I feel like he will be the number one target. He obviously will be, but it's going to give him more of that workload that you're, you've been we've all been expecting from him lately ever since that Minneapolis miracle. So it really is a similar conversation to the one we were having the other day on Twitter about Keenan Allen going from Philip Rivers to Tyra Taylor. And now, you know, I'm not saying that Kirk Cousins is Philip Rivers, but, you know, Stephon Diggs is going from a better quarterback to an inferior quarterback. But I feel like his production is going to be relatively the same in Buffalo. Are you thinking the same thing, Jason? Either the same or better. 
it's going to be less of that share the ball everywhere and more of that focus on the guy that's put in the work. Yeah, and we'll have some similar conversation with Keenan Allen in a bit. Um, so this is going to be three different guys for the eight spot, which I'm really excited about. Uh, my number eight is Kenny Galladay. Uh, Ooh, this might surprise yes. a lot of people. Yes, I know Jason's a big fan of Kenny Galladay as well. Um, I really wanted the Chargers to draft Galladay in 2017. Um, he's done nothing but improve every single year. He's made a leap and a leap and a leap. And I don't realize I don't know if people realize how bad his quarterback situation was last year. You know, Matthew Stafford uh, played eight games, but he broke his back after like four, and so he really wasn't the same guy in those four. And he still put up over 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns with eight games of David Blau and Jeff Driscoll. (laughs) So I'm fully expecting him and Chris Godwin to really make it interesting in terms of the top five because, you know, they've done nothing but improve. And Kenny Galladay, man, he's a great route runner. He's a big red zone target. Uh, I love Kenny Galladay, and I'm excited to see what he can do with uh, a full 16 games of Matthew Stafford. Didn't Jeff Driscoll kind of scare the Chargers like two years ago on the Bengals? Am I, am I thinking of the right quarterback? Yes. Uh, yeah. I think you are. That's, that game sucked. Anyways, back on topic. Yeah, I love I love Kenny Galladay. I didn't include him in this list because I don't think I – I don't think he's made that jump yet, but I think he's closer to being top five than he is to being top ten. Like, just because that's the kind of breakout year I'm expecting him, from him. I don't think he's just going to, like, take a little step up. No, he's going to be a freaking weapon. Yeah. And I I love Kenny Galladay. It's just there are just there's a lot of good receivers in the NFL, man. And so it's it's hard to include everybody. I'm sure you don't have Stefan Diggs on the list to make room for Kenny Galladay. So it's like it it's tough. It's tough to make like a top ten list like that. That's why I prefer tiers, but Kenny Galladay absolutely deserves mention on this kind of list. I like it. I like it. So, Alex, let's move on to your number seven. Uh, Number seven, I'm going with the receiver that's left in Minnesota, Adam Thielen. Uh, I think he just has really great route running. I know he was injured last year, but if this is a list kind of projecting forward to 2020, uh, he was ranked eighth in receiving grade um, in weeks one through six last year. He was ranked uh, seventh in 2018. He's just been really solid his whole career. Uh, doesn't drop the ball like almost at all. I, I think he has one of the lowest drops and pro- job percentages in the league at like 4.7. Um, yeah, he just goes up for uh, pretty great catches too, like nice contested ones. Very pretty fast. Um, yeah, I just think he's really solid. And now he, he kind of has built a decent relationship with Kirk Cousins, even though Kirk Cousins, as Jason said, kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I like Adam Thielen. Uh, especially if we're talking about uh, fantasy in uh, 2020, because now that Diggs is gone. But, um, yeah, no, I think Adam Thielen's going to be awesome in 2020, and I expect him to bounce back from a year where he was uh, hampered by injuries. So the reason I didn't include Adam Thielen in my top 10, and I thought about it, because he does separate really well, and he's got solid route running. Not anything special, but he does have really solid route running. And I know everybody says he's like the the master route runner in the NFL and how some contest that he's the best. There's not enough creativity there for me to call him the best. There's no Mm. element of Stevie Johnson there where you've got these makeshift, creative, imaginative routes that just make people turn in circles. And that's part of it. 
Another part of it is that in impact moments, I've just kind of always noticed that Adam Thielen disappears and they have to turn to Stefan Diggs. And that's that's kind of why I'm always hesitant with Adam Thielen being like this, this true, amazing number one guy. And I mean, he is a number one guy. He's an ex-receiver through and through. But in these impact moments, they always turn away from him because I've seen him fail a few times at those impacts plays. He that he just doesn't seem to get the right amount of separation or the rare drop happens at the wrong time. I don't know if it's pressure getting to it, but I, I see I feel like in those big moments he gets quiet and Stefan Diggs rises to the occasion. Well, well it's Diggs and it's also Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph is right. was always counted on in clutch moments too. Right, especially in the red zone. My number seven receiver is actually going to be a rival of the Eagles in Amari Cooper. And this is a guy that actually does have drop issues. But the explosiveness and the amazing creative route running that I was talking about is there. And he kind of has a similar problem to Thielen, though, where in some impact moments he'll disappear. But I feel like that got a lot better last year as the year went on. He started to rise to the occasion and really take hold as a true number one receiver that we just never saw in Oakland and he took a real big step forward and I don't know if that's just because he finally got out of that hell hole or if he <laughs> just meshes with Dak Prescott more if he was truly took a step in his career we don't know for sure but based on last year alone I liked what I saw at, at Mari Cooper a lot he, he looked like a really good receiver out there really uh, dependable receiver despite some drop issues there so he's going to be my number seven i like cooper a lot i think like you mentioned he's a good route runner um but like you know i didn't put him in my top 10 because of those issues that you mentioned just the lack of consistency in clutch moments and and drops as well so my number seven is going to be Devonte adams uh, i know he was not healthy last year he missed four games um but he's been a big play guy really ever since he came into the league and in 2018 was really when he he made that leap forward and, and his pace from last year was almost identical to what he had in 2018. Uh, the last four seasons, he scored 35 touchdowns. So, you know, he's a big time producer in the red zone and Aaron Rodgers really, it, it's similar to what we were just saying. Like he always counts on Devontae Adams now that that's probably because he doesn't really have any other options, <laughs> but you know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Devontae Adams. He's athletic. He's a great route runner. I think he's probably the second best route runner in the league behind Keenan Allen. Uh, I just really like the way that he separates and, and, you know, his ability in the clutch really just does a trick for me. So that's my number seven. Uh, Alex, let's move on to your number six. Uh, number six is a guy we've talked about. Uh, I put Amari Cooper there. Um, he's, uh, as Jason said, really good route runner. Um, I did think towards the end of the year there were some of those big game moments we talked about where he didn't show up. Uh, particularly a game that happened to take place in Philadelphia. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I uh, I still think Amari Cooper is really good, though. Um, he had an ankle injury, correct? I think so. I don't totally remember what his injury status was It doesn't last matter. Year. He disappeared. Yeah. That's all that matters for Alex. <laughs> <laughs> he did disappear. Um, I still think he's really good, though, and he's better than any receiver the Eagles have. Uh, so, yeah, he's just really solid. Um, I think Dak and him are kind of going to build on their connection, hopefully this year, um, you know, with kind of a little more time. So, yeah, I like, uh, I like, uh, Dak and, uh, Amari Cooper to take a step forward this year. Um, yeah, I just think he's got all, he's got all the physical intangibles, um, 
creative route running, as Jason said. Um, if he can decrease the drops and kind of, you know, put his, uh, kind of put himself in some of those, you know, big positions towards the end of games, uh, he could easily be one of those uh, top five guys. My my number six receiver is um, it's Michael Thomas. <laughs> can you Whoa. say that a little louder? You went there, huh? It's uh, it's, uh, it's Michael Thomas. I like it. That guy in New Orleans, Michael Thomas. I I didn't want to put him on the top ten, you see, but um, <laughs> but we're trying to not be biased here. Yeah, we're not, we're trying not to be biased, and so yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't six. biased because if I was being biased, he wouldn't be anywhere near this top ten. <clears throat> he would be in like the XFL or something. But, <laughs> Catching passes from Cardell Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, non-biased. Michael Thomas is... He's fine. Your turn, Stephen. <laughs> it's okay, dude. I won't make you torture yourself any longer by talking about Michael Thomas. <laughs> uh, so my number six is going to be Keenan Allen. Um, I feel like this is a fair spot for him. In my opinion, the top four, which I'll mention later, are really kind of in a tier of their own. And then really from five to eight, I think you can see you know, any number of guys. And uh, the stat that really stands out for me is one that Daniel Popper said earlier this week. And that only three, only two receivers have three consecutive of 97, three consecutive seasons of 97 catches. You're allowed to say one of those names. <laughs> I know. And 1,100 yards total. So, you know, I think Keenan... Obviously, I think he's the best route runner in the league. I, really, I think if he were to jump higher, it would be if he could get a little more usage in the red zone department. I think that really is what kind of separates him or could separate him from the rest of the crowd in, in the second tier. So uh, I want to talk here for a minute about this transition from going from Rivers to Tyrod, which Jason and I had this conversation on Twitter. Um, I personally don't believe this is really going to affect his effort very much because I think the offense is going to go through Keenan Allen in terms of the passing game. And obviously Tyrod's not going to have the same kind of volume, but to me, the transition from Rivers to Tyrod is more going to affect Mike Williams and Hunter Henry and even Austin Eckler to a a smaller extent. Um, Alex, I don't know where you have Keenan Allen, but if he's next, I don't know if you want to touch on this, uh, this kind of topic of what to expect in the transition from Rivers to Tyrod for Keenan Allen. Uh, it's funny you say that because Keenan Allen is at number five on my list. And, uh, yeah, in terms of Rivers to Tyrod, I think that you'll honestly see Keenan have the same uh, production. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it'll be very different. I honestly think you could see him theoretically going a little bit up because you could maybe see Mike Williams going a little down Right, so right. you know that might create some more yards for like Hunter Henry, Eckler, and um, and Keenan split a little bit. So I could see maybe, yeah, I I, I could see Keenan going up honestly in production. It it also really depends on the quarterback situation, as we said, not just from Rivers to Tyrod, but you know if the Chargers, you know, against my will, do put Herbert in over Tyrod. Um, you know, that becomes a situation where it's like, you know, uh, how good is Herbert? You know, what is the efficiency? And, uh, obviously that will affect Keenan Allen. 
So, but I think Keenan Allen's in a great position as the number one receiver on the team still with great route running. He's had great production. Um, hasn't been injured in a number of years. Uh, you know, his health is no longer really a problem. Uh, and, um, you know, as you guys have said, as Steven said, his route running is really solid. And, um, yeah, he's just got kind of all the attributes you want in a receiver. And, you know, he's shown up in some big moments for the Chargers. So, you know, for me, number five, I have Keenan Allen. Uh, and I think he's going to be awesome in 2020. So my number five guy is Devontae Adams. Now, Devontae Adams, I still feel like is so underappreciated in the same way that Aaron Rodgers is. He put up he puts up amazing stats and he flips games around. Um really just a playmaker, man. He's a great route runner, really good release. And it's not just a, his ability to separate, it's his ability to identify zone coverages on the go and Aaron Rodgers and him to be on the same page. It's really smart football. And that's what stands out to me when I watch Devontae Adams on tape is, and it's not something you really key in on with a lot of receivers, but it's chemistry. And he has it. He has it with Aaron Rodgers uh, to a point that I don't think any other quarterback and receiver have it. Um, it's just very noticeable that they're on the same page. They manipulate defenses when Rodgers scrambles, and it's like they, they never miss a beat. So Adams, for me, is just a true playmaker at the receiver position uh, in the same way that Godwin kind of has been growing into that ability to separate and then capitalize off that separation with the breaking tackle ability and making people miss um, really slippery. If you give him an open field, he's going to manipulate those angles and take advantage once a mistake is made. So Devonte Adams for me is number five. I like that one. I like that. So this one was actually kind of tough for me. Um, the player that I decided on is also the player that I think is most likely to get off of this list in 2020. Uh, and that's Mike Evans. Um, the reason that it's hard for me is that because up until now, he's been a top five receiver in my opinion. You know, the production has been so consistent and so incredible. He's hardly missed any games. He's gotten over a thousand yards every single season he's been in the league and he scored 48 touchdowns over that time period. But at the same time, there is a clear transition, in my opinion, towards Chris Godwin, especially with Tom Brady. Um, so for now, I have Mike Evans here. Uh, but like I said, I think if there's one player on this list that I think is going to be off of it in 2000 after 2020, uh, it's also Mike Evans. So a little bit of a, a tough situation in terms of evaluating him right now. But you know, it's hard for me to ignore his production as one of the better deep threats we've seen in the 2010s. Uh, Alex, who is your number four on this list? Uh, my number four is Tyreek Hill. Uh, I have Tyreek Hill at number four. He's just really explosive. Um, he breaks games. We've seen it against the Chargers, uh, specifically in... Uh, Unfortunately. But yeah, Patrick Mahomes' first game, you know, Tyreek Hill was just running around uh, and you know, just putting the Chargers defense in circles. Not always maybe the most consistent guy, like, from a... If we're talking just, like, from, like, the fundamental standpoint, but he, he just has the speed uh, and the ability to break games wide open. Um, and some of those balls he was catching from Holmes, like, especially in the Super Bowl, like, like 
it's just insane kind of the connection they have like he just he just knows to get open and Mahomes will just chuck the ball to him um but yeah I I think Tyreek is really solid and even though I don't necessarily think his fundamentals are like the best you just can't ignore the fact that he just can break a game uh and just totally you know destroy whatever defensive game plan we had as I think uh Jason said last time so yeah I have Tyreek Hill at number four so my number four is also Tyreek Hill and I considered putting him all the way at number two but it's that consistency that I have a problem with and if Michael Davis can lock you down in in games I can't put you at number two man I just can't and the Chargers would just play cover three and have Michael Davis just run just run and because that's what Michael Davis does best. He has the long stride runs and Tyreek will occasionally get a, a stop route on him where he runs a comeback or a five yard hitch that sends Michael Davis for a loop. But man, if, if you can just put a fast corner on him and just tell them to run and it's successful, I can't, but that game breaking speed that a lot of teams just cannot match is too much to leave him out of the top five. I had to put him at four because there's just some plays where it's stupid, it, insanely stupid how he could just turn a game over, like flip it around. If the other team is just wrecking shop, all they need to do is give Tyreek Hill the ball and he'll make a he'll make a play where it's just jaw dropping because of the speed or the elusiveness. And that's that. The, the entire game has changed. And you see it time and time again. Uh, you know, all the Pat, Patrick Mahomes is given a lot of the credit, which is deserved credit. But it's Tyreek Hill usually making those plays where it flips the game around. So you can't leave him out of there. With me, it is just that consistency and the fundamentals of a wide receiver. And it's it's really not his fault that the Chargers are able to limit him just give him the ball in other ways, but they kind of let him stay out of it because they do end up getting the victory anyway. So um, they're they're fine with the Chargers throwing what they got at Tyreek Hill if the Chargers are just going to throw interceptions all the time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Tyreek Hill is my number four receiver here. Uh, yeah, this is another clean sweep. Tyreek Hill also at four for me. Um you know, again, the consistency is really the only thing that's holding him back. I think he is becoming a little better at his route running and not just his ability to be fast. So and I think Tyreek Hill, it looked like he was on pace for another, for a huge season last year. Um, and then unfortunately for him, he got hurt. So I think he'll get back to that this year. Uh, Alex, who is your number three? Um, and number three is Jason's boy, uh, Mike Thomas. Um, out of New Orleans Um, I just think he's really (laughs) well you know Steven's going to have him high too (laughs) so um, no I I do think Michael Thomas is really good Um, and um, yeah I I don't know you know the the whole Madden thing with the 99 we talked about that last week I don't know about that but uh, I think he's just really solid kind of great possession receiver uh, route running, yeah, I don't know. I think there's some guys that do that better, but just in terms of what he can do in uh, coverage, you know, kind of, he does have, I think he had the most, like, 10-plus yard catches last year, um, so I do think that is uh, kind of impressive. So, 
you know, I think Michael Thomas, we'll see what happens after the post-Breeze era, uh, when Breeze decides to retire to CBS like Greg Olson. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, you know, I don't know if the Taysom Hill era is going to take off so well. But, uh, you know, so I think Mike Thomas is still really good. He's just really consistent um, as a receiver. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't really leave him out of the top three, even though he is a bit of a, a wimp on Twitter. It's actually going to be the... I swear it's going to be like the Justin Fields era in New Orleans or something like that. Really? It's going to be awful. I'm going to hate it. <laughs> um, my number three is the... I'm just kidding. It's Keenan Allen. Um, how'd y'all thinking? But he is going to be the number three guy here, and I, I can't put him any higher than that because the next two guys are just so freaking good. Um, but it is... You know, it's probably questionable for a lot of people that I put him this high up there in the in the top three range, but I've consistently said that's where I have him. I have him as one of the three guys at the top, and I haven't been shy about that take. And um, I don't get fought on it a lot either because people understand why, and it's because I value separation in my receivers. And when you value separation, there are, there are just certain receivers that stand out above the rest. One of those is Devontae Adams, and up next here is Keenan Allen. Because it it's not necessarily just from it's a different way than the next two guys we're going to talk about. I'm sure it's going to be all three of us talking about the same two guys, <laughs> but with with Keenan Allen, it's just all technique, fundamentals, and imagination. It's a lot of the same I mentioned with Devontae Adams, understand understanding zone concepts, understanding where the zones are going to open up, and then finding a place to sit and help your quarterback throw into an open window. And that is invaluable, especially when you're moving to a young quarterback. And which is why Steven was talking about earlier, we don't think his production is going to drop at all because Keenan Allen's best trait is that he's one of the smartest receivers in the NFL. And that is going to help Justin Herbert a ton, an absolute ton. If you can give Justin Herbert throwing windows, it takes away something he struggles with, which is throwing accurately into tight windows. And give him that open space for Keenan Allen and just it'll it'll work just fine it's not gonna dip at all if anything it's gonna be better because he's gonna be more of a focus for Justin Herbert and Tyrod Taylor but we'll see moving forward yeah I totally agree with that so my number three is Michael Thomas as well um there was a debate for me between Thomas and Hill but like we talked about just the consistency the lack of consistency from Tyreek Hill is ultimately why I decided to go Michael Thomas at three um, I know he's super annoying on Twitter and I don't, you know, we don't know really how much of the route tree he can really do because Drew Brees throws slants and screens and hitches and things like that. And that's it. Um, but it's really hard for me to sit there and look at a guy who had 140 catches last year and, and just kind of not put him in the top three. And, and really he's gotten better in, in every category across the board, every single year since he's been drafted. So, um, so pretty much, that is our 10 through 3. I think it's safe to say that both of us have DeAndre Hopkins at number 2. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I don't. Um, okay. I have uh, Dontrell Inman uh, <laughs> number 2. I thought he was going to be serious. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> now, hear me out. Dontrell Inman was 131st in targets, 103rd in deep targets, 
Just just an absolute beast on the field. Did you see that Miami game? We all saw that Miami game. Career-defining. He did get hurt, though. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's uh, DeAndre Hopkins. We uh, we all have, I assume, DeAndre Hopkins a two, and then I assume that makes our number one pretty, uh, pretty obvious. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins is uh, second-best receiver in the league. Bill O'Brien is a dumb, dumb idiot for trading him. Uh, a dumb, and, dumb idiot. I love it. <laughs> and for not getting a first-round pick, that's really, like, the thing that shocks me. Um, yeah, he's just, he was pretty much, you know, uh, other than Deshaun Watson, you know, he was, you know, the main key and uh, kind of a piece of that offense at Houston. And um, he he's just really good. And, man, before Deshaun Watson came... DeAndre Hopkins was doing it with, like, Tom Savage and, you know, whatever, all these guys, like, just complete garbage. And, you know, he finally got a good quarterback, and, you know, then Bill O'Brien was like, oh, okay, we'll ship you to Arizona for, you know, whatever they got. Carlos Hyde? I, I don't know. Who was the... David who was, Johnson. Same thing. And, <laughs> <laughs> it is the same thing. <laughs> same thing. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. But... Yeah, back to the trade thing, but yeah, no, DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers in the league, just consistent production, has got it done with every quarterback you can imagine, uh, and yeah, he's just been really solid, and I think he's going to be awesome with Kyler Murray this year. I'm so excited. Um, was that to... awesome? I'll say it again. Awesome. Awesome. Um, who, was his, who was the Texans quarterback in 2015? Wasn't it Case Keenum? No, was it a little Keenum, earlier than that? I thought Keenum was 14. Was 15 was Tom it Savage? It might have been. Uh, or it might have been Brock Osweiler. Keenum was 2014, it looks like. Uh, the Texans had... Oh, the Texans in 2015 had uh, Tom Savage, Brandon Whedon, uh, and BJ Daniels. So that... Oh uh, that BJ Daniels, a legend. So in 2015, I'm because I'm, I'm looking at DeAndre Hopkins' statue right now, and he had 1,500 yards in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. That's that insane. is insane. I personally oh, wasn't think it, that. Um... No, it wasn't. No, okay. I'm thinking of Osweiler. No, Osweiler was later. Never mind. Osweiler was 16, and he went from 1,500 yeah. yards to 954 because wow. Brock Osweiler <laughs> is that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I think DeAndre Hopkins has the best hands in the league. Like last year, there was this stat that he hadn't dropped a pass in like twelve games straight, which is just insane. Um, Larry Fitzgerald would like a word. <laughs> I think that be, before like 2017, I would have said Larry Fitzgerald as well. Um, yeah, Fitzgerald sure. is is so underappreciated. He's still balling out, man, and he's been in the league for like 20 years. I always feel bad when I leave him off the top 10, but. At this point of his career, he's past his prime. It's like I would like to include him in the top ten, but he's so limited in what he can actually do now, uh, which is a shame. But he's still so reliable. Yeah, Larry Fitzgerald. I think he's been so consistent over the years, and he's really just—he's very similar to Joe Thomas in the fact that they played on some really bad teams and stuck it out and just balled out regardless. So Larry Fitzgerald is is amazing, and the two of them, him and DeAndre Hopkins together, is going to be really fun to watch, and especially with Kyler Murray. Um, so number one, Julio Jones for me and then for the, for all three of us, I just think people are kind of taking for granted how good Julio Jones is, uh, since 2014, he's racked up over 9,000 yards receiving and 37 touchdowns and he's only missed three games. 
So he's incredibly productive. He's incredibly athletic. He ran a 4-3-9 on one leg at the combine. And still, I personally don't think it's uh, a discussion that Michael Thomas is number one for some reason. Just because of the numbers, he's, he's up there. But for me, Julio Jones is pretty clearly the number one receiver in the league. Yeah, uh, so my number one was actually Hingle McCringleberry. <laughs> Hingle McCringleberry. Uh, on the on the rhinos, uh, best known for his uh, three pumps, excessive celebration. Uh, you can't do three pumps, anyways. It, yeah, it's Julio Jones. Uh, just when you take separation, fifty fifty ball, strength, everything, uh, literally everything. Julio Jones is probably the best receiver uh, in the game. It's just he's either top three. Or he's the best at all those things. Like we've talked about how Keenan Allen's the best route runner. Then it's Devontae Adams. After that, it's probably Julio Jones, despite his right. despite him being an absolute monster. I don't know, isn't he at like six three, six four? And dude moves like almost as twitchy as Tyreek Hill sometimes. It's unreal to watch Julio Jones just work corners. Now, he is far better as a dominant fifty fifty receiver. Then he would be if you if you put him in a slot and told him to be uh, underneath route running receiver. But man, he's just so dominant. And every time I see that catch against Malcolm Butler, where he just rips it out of his hands, I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. He, he I get it. He's the he's wide receiver one still, and you don't have to remind me again. I'll remember this. So I just I can't. Julio Jones is just on another level, and I I am. Firmly in the club that says Matt Ryan holds him back. Yeah. Um, to expand on that point, like I saw some stat that like Julio Jones only has like I don't know what it is, like fifty or sixty touchdowns in his career. Like he doesn't have that many. Um and uh or yeah, something like that. And um yeah, it's just a lot He's of it. He's got fifty seven. He's got fifty seven touchdowns. Fifty seven, yeah. Because um, he had two in twenty thirteen. Right. He only played yeah, that, five games that year. Right, and, and there was another season where, yeah, he didn't get one to like week fourteen. Yeah, two thousand seventeen, he only had three on the season. Right, because Matt Ryan's not that good. Right, um, yeah, I Matt Ryan, not the greatest red zone guy. Um, and yeah, just hasn't hasn't had the strongest arm. Like if you put Julio Jones with Patrick Mahomes, I think Julio oh. Jones would be banned from the NFL just for being unfair. <laughs> <laughs> like. Uh, really, if you gave him a quarterback that had, like, that strong of an arm, um, like, I can't even imagine the things Julio would do to defenses. Uh, it, it would be just borderline criminal. Um, but, yeah, Julio's just really solid, has always had really great um, production, uh, not in the red zone, because Atlanta Falcons in the red zone have always kind of been offensively mishandled, but um, Yard's just a monster, and... Um, He's done it with without you know a ton of help uh, in his career with other receivers. He had Roddy White for a while, I guess, and now he has Calvin Ridley. But he hasn't always had the best secondary receivers. Like there was a while where like Mohamed Sanu was like the it guy. Was bad, yeah. Um, and I don't think Mohamed Sanu's that good. But um, yeah, so Julio's just he's a game breaker. Um, and I think he 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 is a type of game where he can be the number one receiver, uh, you know, at the top of the hill for a while. 
Um, so yeah, I I agree with you guys. He's he's just clearly, in my opinion, I I honestly would say he's far ahead of the pack. Um, but yeah, I think Julio Jones is the best receiver in the league. Yeah, and it's not just the combination. It's not just Matt Ryan, but it's the combination of the revolving door at offensive coordinator that they've had. Yeah. And that year in particular, when he had three touchdowns, Steve Car- Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator, <laughs> and that was yeah. real bad. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to go through and, and summarize just real quick. I have 10, Chris Godwin, 9, Odell Beckham, 8, Kenny Galladay, 7, Devontae Adams, 6, Keenan Allen, 5, Mike Evans, 4, Tyreek Hill, 3, Michael Thomas, 2, John- DeAndre Hopkins, 1, Julio Jones. Alex, if you could, just go 10 to 1 real fast. Yeah, I had 10, Chris Godwin, 9, Odell Beckham Jr., 8, Devontae Adams, 7, Adam Thielen, 6, Amari Cooper, 5, Keenan Allen, 4, Tyreek Hill, 3, Michael Thomas, 2, DeAndre Hopkins, and 1, Julio Jones. And then Jason, if you could, 10 to 1, please. I had 10, Chris Godwin, 9, Odell Beckham, 8, Stephon Diggs, 7, Amari Cooper, 6, Michael Thomas, 5, Devontae Adams, 4, Tyreek Hill, 3, Keenan Allen, 2, DeAndre Hopkins, and 1, Julio Jones. Perfect. I love it. So that was a lot of good discussion. Uh, Hopefully you guys appreciated those lists. Um, We're going to move on really quickly to the best defensive chargers in the history since we're already at. Uh, 55 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we talked my... about that really long. <laughs> Excuse my dog barking in the background. But uh, just really fast, um, in terms of defensive linemen, it's really interesting, um, mostly just because Joey Bosa, I feel like, is eventually going to be this guy. But right now, Leslie O'Neill is pretty clearly the best defensive lineman in Chargers history. I think he has 105.5 total sacks to go along with 572 tackles. Uh, Next is Sean Phillips in terms of sacks at 69.5, and then Lee Williams at 3, Melvin Ingram 49, Junior Seau 47, Rayleigh Johnson 46, Sean Merriman, who was amazing for like four years at 43.5, Joey Bosa at 40, Chris Mims 38, and Burt Grossman 38 as well. So, uh... Do either of you have any other besides Leslie O'Neill that you want to bring up here? No, uh, I think you got that list pretty well when it comes to the best uh, defensive lineman. Uh, Sean Merriman, I, I, if he had that like long career and it kind of got blown up by injuries, but man, I just, I just wonder like if he had like a ten-year career, like just how high he would be like as a Charger on people's right. lists. Um, so I think that's kind of maybe the one, um, defensive lineman performance that we were probably robbed of in a way. Um, but yeah, I think you put Leslie O'Neill first. Um, yeah, but I, I, yeah, I've said this, but if the Chargers extend Joey Bosa, I, uh, I fully believe Joey Bosa will be the best, uh, defensive lineman in team history. Yeah, so Bosa is interesting. You know, he's at number eight right now with 40. Uh, he's certainly on the trajectory, and if the with, if the extension comes with five years, you know, he'll get up there as well. Melvin Ingram move, will, will move up as well, but uh, that contract remains to be seen. Um, in terms of linebackers, uh, this is very similar to the LT conversation uh, because Junior Seau has over 1,300 tackles, and the next closest is Gary Plummer, uh, with 792. 
So if we're talking about linebackers, it's Donald Butler. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it's pretty pretty easily uh, Junior Seau. Really, the next inside linebacker that is on this list in terms of tackles, you know, Donnie Edwards is seventh all time in tackles with 543, and he's the next linebacker after Gary Plummer. So those three are really uh, the main ones there. Yeah, it's, it's Junior Sale. Yeah. <laughs> and that's another one, too. I mean, he played 12 years for the Chargers. Unfortunately, you know, I became a Chargers fan after, you know, Junior Seau left and went to the Dolphins, right? He went Patriots? Dolphins and then Patriots. Oh, yeah. Um, but, man, Junior Seau was just so electric as a player, and I think, you know, he's pretty easily one of the – in terms of, like, Mount Rushmore of Chargers, I think he would be on it as well. Um, moving to cornerbacks, this is another one that's not all that close. Uh, Gil Bird, who played from 1983 to 1982, has 42 career interceptions. Uh, Dick Harris from 1960 to 1965 has 29. Um, Quentin Jammer is 7th at 21. You know, maybe Antonio Cromartie, if he had played longer, would be on this list, but, you know, Gil Gil Bird... Uh, is another one that's pretty easily the best corner of Chargers history. I don't know, because good corners aren't defined by interceptions anymore. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And it hasn't been that way since probably, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Um, that's just true. Just because, like, you had guys like Night Train Lane and Gilbert who would just get just pick after pick after pick. It was just like these guys would – like, there were some guys who had 14 picks in a season or whatever. Yeah. 13 picks in a season. It's like nowadays, like you're you're elite if you get five, so it, you can't really go by that anymore. So that's why corner is a lot harder. That's um, true. That's a good point. For me, I I feel like it's Quentin Jammer. I, I I really do, just because. I mean, Antonio Cromartie was great. Casey Hayward is great. Um, we'll need a couple more years out of production from him, and I think he can be in the argument there. Um, not so much production, but just locking receivers down. Casey Hayward um, is the only corner since Darrell Revis in like 2006 to have the the PFF grade that he did, um, which was like 96, 97, or something like that. Um, and I believe that was in 2016 or 17 where Casey Hayward did that. So if you're if you're looking at Casey Hayward, I think he'll have an argument in a couple of years. But for me. It's Quentin Jammer, just because that's the guy that was like maybe it's just because he was the guy in the same time period as like Champ Bailey and that's the that was the kind of like the cornerback era, the Darrell Revis and Champ Bailey and Quentin Jammer days. But for me for me it would be him. Um yeah, I also will go Jammer. Uh I think if Casey Hayward has another two, three years of really high production, um, I think he could really vault up the list because I think he's probably the most talented corner that's played. Uh, maybe also Antonio Cromartie is in that discussion, but Cromartie didn't play that long. Um, so, yeah. I, I would say Casey Hayward has a good chance to be the number one eventually, but yeah, right now I'd go Quentin Jammer. I do want to do a quick segue, though, um, because my uh, beloved Philadelphia uh, Birds did release uh, Michael Davis, so I did want to talk He's about Trevor Williams. Uh, uh, yeah, they released Trevor Williams. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they released Trevor Williams. Yeah, so I did want to talk about that. 
uh, a little bit. Uh, I had Michael Davis on the brain because, you know, Jason's going to want to cut Michael Davis for Trevor Williams. <laughs> so No. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that'd, but that'd be yeah, a no-brainer so, for me as well. Yeah, I did want to bring that up uh, just in case you guys want to talk about, like, would he be a good fit for the team this year? I mean, he'd always be a good fit for the team. There was a two-year period where he was really on good. PF- According to PFF, he was a top seven corner in the NFL, while Casey Hayward was number one and two in those years. So it was like, yeah, I would love to have Trevor Williams back because that was that was an insane two years to have Casey Hayward and Trevor Williams next to each other. And um, it was a huge leap because, remember, Trevor Williams in his rookie year was awful. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, he was hated about as much as Brandon Faison because that dude, he, Trevor Williams, was not able to tackle. He could not cover. He was playing nickel at the time. It was just not going well. Um, but he developed into a really good outside corner in that cover three scheme. So it in like a Brandon Browner type move where you, the, the team brings the corner back because it fits the scheme, I could see Trevor Williams returning. I really could. And seeing that the team needs more youth there and needs more assurance for the future, it would be nice to see if Trevor Williams still fits that scheme to see if you could bring him back when – you know, Desmond King might leave or it, it would give them assurance, like going into 2021, Hey, we have let Desmond King go. We have Chris Harris in the slot. It would be nice to see Trevor Williams opposite of Casey Hayward playing that outside corner spot again. Yeah. I'd be all about it. Honestly, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the, the corner two spot and how we would have liked to see the team draft someone or even, you know, sign an actual outside corner too. I love Chris Harris, but you know, it was a little head scratcher, honestly, but Trevor Williams, if he came back, I'd be all about it. Um, in terms of safeties for the chargers, this is probably the closest conversation. In terms Derwin of James. <laughs> yes. Honestly, Derwin James is going to be up there, but for now, I think Marcus Gilchrist. Uh, no, uh, the conversation <laughs> about safeties really is Rodney Harrison and Eric Weddle to me. Ronnie Harrison also He's played dead the to years. me. So Ronnie said to me. <laughs> okay, well, we still need to talk about him. Uh, Rodney Harrison had 26 interceptions with the Chargers and over 600 tackles. You know, he was a tackle for Lost Machine. He had 22. And then Eric Weddle, he had far less, far fewer interceptions, but he did have more tackles. He had over 700 tackles. Uh, also 32 tackles for loss. So where do you guys stand on Eric Whittle versus Ronnie Harrison? Um, It's honestly probably Weddle. I mean, I love Rodney Harrison. I think he was a more impactful player as well. But Eric Weddle was a very consistent player for a long time. And uh, outside of that stunt, between him and the Chargers where they cut him while he was soaking in the hot tub with Philip Rivers or something. I don't know. There's something like that. Um, and he kind of threw a fit about it for a while there. Um, and put a lot of Chargers fans are not friends with Eric Weddle anymore. <laughs> but realistically, he was very consistent. Um consistently got tackles consistently got his ankles broken by adrian peterson (laughs) it's just the way of life for him so 
I would say probably Eric Weddle. Even though I love Rodney Harrison, I love his highlights. He's such a good player. Um, yeah, I kind of, I guess I agree on this one. I think Rodney Harrison was the more talented player, but Weddle was here for longer, had the more, had most tackles, had uh, kind of that consistent production. So yeah, I would probably go Weddle over um, Weddle over Rodney Harrison, despite kind of all the baggage there. Uh, with Weddle and Spanos family and whatever, but uh, yeah, no, I would go. Yeah, so I, I would go with Weddle, but I think it's actually very close between him and Rodney Harrison. If Rodney Harrison had played here for longer, uh, not gone to New England like a coward. Um, <laughs> I think, wow! I think Rodney Harrison would be higher, but he paid for it. He got mossed by Manningham, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, by Manningham and uh, what was his name, David Tyree. Were, were both of those Rodney Harrison? I think so. Yes. He was oh there for like five years, right? right? So he was, he was there yeah. for both of those Super Bowls. Wow. Yeah, so in terms of like playmaking, you know, I think Rodney Harrison had a couple years. Like peak Rodney Harrison was better than peak Eric Weddle, I feel like. But Eric Weddle just was so consistent, man. And from really his second year on, he was right around 100 tackles every single year like five, six, seven tackles for loss, a few quarterback hits. So it, it's hard for me. Like I totally understand the Eric Weddle gripe. Um, and, you know, I'm a diehard Utah fan and Eric Weddle is the best university of Utah football player of my lifetime. So I, I understand why Chargers fans are, are still salty about it more than anyone, because I love Eric Weddle and I continue to support him. Uh, I was surprised he retired. I felt like he was still pretty, pretty good with the Rams, but oh, he retired. He did retire, yeah. Mm, I didn't know about that. Um, so I still followed Eric Weddle on Twitter, on Instagram, and everything. You know, I'm still supporting him to this day. Uh, I do think he is the greatest Chargers safety just because of that longevity thing that we're talking about and, and just the consistency from year to year with him is was was so good. And you knew every single game what Eric Weddle was going to bring to the table. And, and he was definitely not as naturally talented as Rodney Harrison, but... You know, like we talked about, it's just the longevity, the consistency that that gives Eric Weddle the the top notch here. Uh, so, Alex, any other thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Uh, no, that's about it for today. I wrote a couple articles on Bolt Beat this week about some bold predictions for the Chargers uh, and some other stuff. So you can go check that out over there. Uh, other than that, um, no, that's about it for today. Sounds good. Jason, any other thoughts before we wrap up before we wrap up today? Nope. That's pretty much it for me. Um Yeah, I think I'm good. Awesome. So this was a was a good episode. I feel really good about this. There was a lot of good discussion. We've only got a few more episodes of Jason before he departs. Uh we're gonna have some good episodes for you guys. We got Chris Harry, uh the Chargers reporter coming on. Alex and I are gonna join and hopefully Jason if he's available. Uh, join him on Friday and uh, yeah that'll do it for today's show stay tuned for the rest of the stuff make sure you check out my breakdown on Trey Pipkins on Patreon and the giveaway that is coming out at the end of the month so that'll do it for us we'll see you next time it's happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust the mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. 
They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com